This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 121 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick, I've got you again. I have got you laughing at the start of a show. It's going to be a good start to the night. We are pushing the end of July here, myself, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Max, and here for uh, the 1,000 millionth installment of the Huskies Warming House podcast, Nick, and it feels like uh, an installment and a half we have. Yes, we're going to start out the main portion of the show again with more Hockey Canada news uh, and also some news related to the Edmonton Oilers. Geez, it is not getting any easier in Canada. I know it hasn't been a fun thing to discuss and we hate coming back to it. Um, but oh, the show yeah. content, yeah, the show content kind of writes it, it kind of writes itself sadly. Um, and it's not an exciting thing to talk about, but other than that, I, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some major trades that did happen uh, around the national hockey league, as well as some big signings that kind of influence things going on. Patrick line, Pierre Luc Dubois, their saga, their tandem as, as a duo has kind of continued, uh, throughout their NHL careers. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and the big blockbuster t- trade, obviously, uh, we'll get to that. If you don't know what that is, um, You've been living under a rock. Uh, And then we're going to talk about some extra ice session. Um, I'm going to call this the John Tavares issue. Um, And maybe you'll know what I mean. You'll have to check it out. I won't reveal any more details than that. So, Nick, without further ado, as always, we start with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated weekly roundup, Noah, for the Center Ice View News and Notes. And uh, yeah, more signings as uh, this time of the year tends to yield a bunch more of those, especially with um, unrestricted free agency. How about this one, though? Netminder Vitek Vanacek, um, he was a restricted free agent, traded to Washington, excuse me, from Washington to New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, dyslexia is taking effect. Um, <laughs> um, he voided arbitration um, with a three-year pact of $3.4 million annually for uh, the 26-year-old from Czechia. Um, he logged a 9.08 save percentage and 2.67 goals against um, last year across 42 appearances in the 21-22 campaign, 2012-6. Uh, um, also during that stretch, um, he was acquired and the 40 uh, with the 46th overall pick, I should say, from the yeah. Capitals in exchange for the 37 and the 70th overall picks 
um, in that draft just a few weeks back. So a little bit of minor goaltending news there. Uh, not that Minnesota Wild fans have had any goaltending news of themselves. Uh, but moving forward, um, how about this? Speaking of Minnesota Wild and maybe former players, Nino Niederreiter of uh, finding a new home in Nashville. Uh, Two-year deal with $4 million annually. Um, third most in goals, 24 on the Hurricanes last season. Um, he has scored 20-plus goals five times during his NHL career. Um, 368 points over 732 games. If I saw the stack correctly, Noah, second most uh, points by a current active player that is born in Switzerland. Number one, of course, is now current teammate and captain Roman Yossi. Um, so nice little step there for Nino Niederreiter. Uh, Pittsburgh continues to make... Uh, things work, avoiding arbitration with a two-year deal, $3.2 million annual for Kasperi Kapanen, the former Maple Leaf draft pick. Uh, 25 years of age, 32 points in 79 uh, games last season, 152 career points in 321 career games in the show, Noah. Yeah, uh, some interesting signings. I think Nino Niederreiter, I don't know why Nashville, like it just, it felt right. You know, it just seems like a decent little fit for that club that was maybe looking for a middle six, third line guy that can just add some scoring punch. And uh, the other thing that kind of struck me with that is that, uh, you know, third on the Hurricanes with 24 goals last season, which obviously is a great campaign. And he's always been a guy that really drives possession, even when he was in Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, doesn't it just feel like with how good the Hurricanes were last year that it felt like there should have been more goals on that list for some of the goal scorers? I mean, they are a win by committee team, but it just it felt like they had more offensive punch than that number kind of revealed, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and again, you know, you, you said it yourself. It's a score by committee, you know, type team. So they had, what, 12, I think, 20 goal scorers? Or no, not 20, or at least over 10. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they don't have the superstars, you know, you know the, the top tier talent and then you could call it just a few middle tier talents i mean then the in the hurricanes under rod Bredemore have been a, a team that's been coached by committee to play like committee um it's a big reason why they're successful um you know again they're they're going to be a deep threat this year um just seems to be a product of i think a hurricanes management that's maybe thought they should have had some better outcomes in the playoffs i mean again they've been a force in the regular season minus maybe jack lafontaine but anyways um yes a little shot at goal for fans i'm sorry um and, and even not to get him a, a qualified offer um what a road it has been for the former gopher um but it does feel like again trading um away um tony d'angelo bringing in brent burns um also then trading for max patcheretti i mean carolina is kind of swinging big right now they see uh, an opening that maybe is starting to dim a little bit so unfortunately for the hurricanes it was one of those where uh somebody had to be you know the, the one to, to, to kind of get moved on and it was nino gladi found a home and being reunited with mikhail granlin um in nashville for the upcoming couple of years yeah i think the big question mark for carolina is going to be their goaltending can freddie anderson stay oh, healthy yeah, well, I mean, he, he, had, he had a great season last year, which, which has been something that has been few and far between. I mean, I think, I mean, well, I was, the Maple Leafs. Come on. obviously, no, I mean, for the Canes is what I mean. But I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean, like Alex Nadelkovich had had obviously a decent first season with the Canes. But I think before that, you have to go all the way back to the, you know, the mid to early Cam Ward days to really find a goaltender that really took the reins. And for those who don't know that name. Yeah. Um, you know, a Cam Ward, I think, was just a staple, obviously, a 2006 Stanley Cup winner, along with some former St. Cloud State Huskies as well. Uh, only two more topics, actually, already here in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. We do have some big fish to fry related to Columbus. So we're going to get to that, obviously, a little bit later at various points points in the show um with the blue jackets as well as the flames and panthers of course but 
Uh, this is a player that, looking at the return, uh, if Minnesota maybe could have made a move to make it work, wouldn't have been the worst pickup in the world, I think. But the Seattle Kraken were on it first, uh, acquiring Blue Jackets forward Oliver Bjorkstrand for the third and fourth round selections in next year's draft. The Great Jackets, job. yeah, the Jackets did not have space for him. Somebody had to go after the Johnny Gaudreau signing, and unfortunately, uh, it was uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand who uh, 28 goals and 57 points last season, second on the team in both categories. Four years remaining, $5.4 million annually, has 134 points in 382 NHL games. I think he would be a decent little fit on the Minnesota Wild squad. Maybe a slight overpay. He's probably worth maybe about $4.8 million, you know, about, about 500K less, uh, depending on, you know, just his sample size. But he had a great year last year. And, you know, if that was the only asking price, I think any team in the league would be smart to pay that, knowing that. The Jackets didn't have a lot of leverage with him in his uh, contract situation, so congrats to mm -hmm. him. And the Kraken have slowly kind of retooled a little bit here. It, it hasn't been amazing, they but I offense. think yeah, yes, but I th did. but I think this was the move that maybe we expected them to have in their inaugural season. We're picking up some veteran players, some guys that have been around the league and could really bring some solidarity to a lineup and make it at least somewhat form formidable. Um, it's happening this year slowly but surely. You know, and again, for them, they were never going to get the same return like yeah. Vegas did uh, opening year. So you got to give credit to Ron Francis to being a little bit patient. Um, and if you think about it again, for Bjorkstan and his production for a third or fourth round pick, that's yeah. not anything. I mean, considering, yeah. you know, what the return is going to get. This is a great pickup uh, by the Kraken. And again, you know, it's one of those where, you know, I think – GMs know how to feel each other out, you know, and again, this you can even relate to Kevin Fiala's situation a little bit where, you know, how that transpired pretty quick. Uh, some maybe said, well, that return wasn't great. Uh, but again, GMs are smart. They know that when a team doesn't have leverage in a situation that they can exploit that. Um, and in this case, you know, the, the Blue Jackets are over the cap. Seattle had uh, some assets they could get rid of and, you know, it was a, a good return um, for the Kraken and, and probably not a value you could say for the Blue Jackets. But again, they had to get rid of cap space to get compliant for the salary cap. Um, so it was a maybe opportunistic pickup, you could say, by Ron Francis. But well done by the Kraken GM and uh, continuing to add a little bit more skill up front, something that they desperately need to add as, uh, again, goal scoring was their probably biggest issue last year in their inaugural season. Yeah, Bjorkstrand, a cap casualty that probably would have stayed with the team had Johnny Gaudreau not signed. A third-round pick himself was Bjorkstrand, but if you look at Johnny Gaudreau, uh, really, even with this move, uh, if you compare him with Johnny Gaudreau, the Blue Jackets are still, like, plus whatever it is, 70-some points or 65-some points mm -hmm. <laughs> in this move. So the Correct. Jackets did get better. Uh, final topic here, San Jose Sharks, speaking of getting better, the Team USA 2022 Olympic coach David Quinn uh, and former Rangers bench boss, a three-year contract for San Jose, something that um, you know you had on your radar as well, a career record mm -hmm. in the National Hockey League, 96, 87, and 25, uh, and 105, 69, and 21 in five seasons for Boston University, including – uh, an NCAA championship berth. They did not end up winning that game, but they were in the title game. So, uh, yeah, David Quinn, um, a great pickup for San Jose, and they're slowly trying to remove uh, um, Bog Bugner's, uh, I want to, wanted to say stamp, but I really want to say lack thereof, unfortunately. And the San Jose Sharks, again, um, they are, I would say, embracing a rebuild just yet, uh, but I think there's more 
indications, especially with the Brent Burns trade, that they are thinking a little bit more of restocking the cupboard. Again, there's not a lot of young prospects in that entire roster. Again, they they had a, a run of trading away first round picks, second round picks, top prospects for deep playoff runs. Um, we've talked about this before, Noah, and they really just didn't take when the door was shut. Right, it just almost seemed like they were like a baseball team that you know instead of like you know at 500 instead of selling to the deadline they bought because they really thought they could have they had a chance that's kind of what the san jose sharks have been the last few years and i think under mike greer um especially a new gm and uh with the new coaching staff uh, you kind of wonder too if the san jose sharks with some of the money they have tied up to still with william carlson at 11 million dollars per season um you know with the pacific getting better the kings have to be uh, a, front, a front runner now with some of the moves that they've made, you kind of wonder if they're seeing the writing on the wall. And it'd be interesting to see what Mike Greer does here um, with the personnel come, uh, depending on how they start this season. But I would think uh, uh, at least some of the sales have set already uh, down there um, in the, the valley uh, of the Bay Area. Yeah, shedding about uh, $6 million in cap space for the next couple of seasons with the Brent Burns trade certainly helps, but a lot of work down to do in Southern California. With that being said, a lot of work to do up north as well as we're going to jump in to the main portion of the show. Welcome into episode 121. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, I... Uh, before we get into uh, uh, the meat and potatoes here, um, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I think I think for all of us, you're getting closer to some things that are potentially very advantageous for you, and we're excited um, uh, to see those things continue to develop. On my side, uh, I do have some time off finally, which is really nice. Wow. Yeah, picking some. What, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bored, honestly. Um, you know, it's especially especially when you get and you know it quite well, Nick. When you get in that workaholic mode, it almost feels wrong to sit down sometimes. Yeah, and I think and I think uh, you know, especially for you and I both, uh, myself in the hospital and you both in the banking and restaurant game, especially the restaurant, especially where you're working long days, you know, 12, 13 hours for both of us. Uh, it can be hard to kind of shut your body and your brain off sometimes uh, when it when it comes to that downtime. So it has been well uh, well needed. The State Fair obviously going on in North Dakota, although for those who are curious, just look up Kid Rock, North Dakota State Fair, and it didn't exactly go off uh, as planned, so to nope. speak, last <laughs> night. It's, um, apparently a there was no bit, rocking from the kid. We'll put it, it to you that way. Yeah, apparently a little bit of wind uh, um, sparked a, a big gust and mass exodus um, from Kid Rock, unfortunately. And uh, the wind? For those who are wondering, after you get a chance to read the story, because I won't reveal it, I want people to look it up. Uh, Twelve miles an hour at, at the time of the decision. I'll just uh, throw that one yeah, out there. Little tease, I like it. Yeah, but Nick, time off has been good. Obviously, uh, you're uh, in, in the middle of your things, but other than that, uh, staying busy, just trying to kind of stay afloat and prepare for what's next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still you know when you go through the process like this, Noah, it's 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 interesting because there's there's the way you think it's going to go. Then there's the way that it goes. And okay, Johnny Gaudreau. I know, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, or you could say Pierre Luc Dubois. Anyway, um, you know, uh, but you know, it, it's it's been a run. It, you know, there it's getting close. We'll put it that way, folks. For those who are listening and been following some of the developments over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, this is as close as it's ever been. Um, I will share that. Um, yeah. um, I think that's as far as I can go with it at this point. But uh, it's exciting. It's sort of nerve wracking at the same time because let's just say things are on paper 
um, now. So there, you know, there's things that are said now being placed on paper. Um, and so now it's about sort of ironing out the wrinkles and uh, putting pen to paper. So we're we're close. Yeah. Um, um, to say li lightly. A little bit of uh, tweaks from uh, things that we learned, obviously, even from the show last week. The only thing I'll say is uh, Nick Maxson might be wearing shorts and sandals instead of a parka. That's all I want to put out right. on that one. <laughs> um, with that being said, let's head up to the frigid uh, north. And as always, we're going to start uh, by relaying that this particular podcast and this particular story does depend, depict multiple descriptions of sexual assaults or potential assaults um and viewer discretion and listener discretion is advised here so yeah can i, can I jump in real quick noah uh, just sure because can. yes um did did we did we not cite article five of the huskies warming house podcast clause right no um <laughs> I, and I think it's important to take a step back a little bit for our listeners because this has been a story that we yeah. have covered extensively the last couple of weeks and i think there's a there's a there's a there's a question of why right and mm -hmm there's going to be some new things we talk about, which is partly the reason, right? And then there's some new developments. And for those who are wondering, this is, unfortunately, a lot of what we're talking about is highlighting some of the negatives that are in hockey right now. And have been for a long and time. And have been for a long yeah. time. And, you know, I'm an advocate for the game of hockey. I love it. I know you do as well. No, I'm not speaking for you. But again, you know, we come yeah. to the table every week um, again, for us, it's 10.54 p.m. when we're recording this here on a Saturday night. Usually most people at the bar are asleep right now. So this is yeah. just to or, how... or walking away from a Kid Rock concert. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's things that you have to talk about. And if it's yeah. going to get better, people like us bring it up because it's not that we want to perpetuate the negative. It's not mm. that we're trying to paint a bad picture of hockey. It's that these are the things that have to be discussed. We have, and I feel it's an obligation from us as a, a person or people with our platform to educate our listeners and our viewers to know that these things either A, have happened recently or have been the actual events in question occurred much earlier and they're just coming to light now kind of thing. But it, at the end of the day, the, the result is the same, that there's still some issues that need to be worked out in our game. And for those who, like myself, to speak for me that want to grow the game of hockey these are the things that have to be taken care of if you if you want mm. the espn numbers for this time like a finally go up if you want this and this if you want to call it bad press it was just you know maybe the midwest slang here it has to go away but the only way you get it to go away is you have to have tough conversations so it's not that we enjoy it it's not that we expect you to enjoy it but we do think it's important because this is not just about hockey it's about hum, you know humanity and these are the things that have to be discussed yeah and i think the the only piece that i would add on to that we had one of the comments uh on the youtube channel last week and of course obviously we thank all of our listeners and viewers and you're free to have your opinion and, and whatnot i think our goal especially with these stories because we realize that a lot of a lot of you uh that join us each week come here to listen about the positives about hockey or kind of interesting takes related to the actual game and the on ice product uh you know but at the same time, our goal not so much is to, yeah, we'll throw our opinions in there here and there are kind of some of our perceptions. But I think with stories like these, the more uh, the reason for the frequency and the in-depth discussion is more we want to get the facts right. We want to kind of alleviate any misconceptions. And we also just kind of want to lay things out there for people to kind of have their own interest in. And, you know, one of the things that this comment had mentioned on YouTube was you know referencing the Kyle Beach incident to which there were things that were found to be at fault there. Um, you know, and, and to be fair, there were a lot of people that 
I don't want to call them innocent, but maybe had a lesser hand that obviously were a part of that process too, that obviously uh, had some, uh, you know, reparations or reprimands, whatever you want to call them that um, deal with. And with the Hockey Canada statements, obviously we're not lawyers, we're not part of the situation. So we, you know, we can't definitively say whether these things are all true or all false or a mix in between. We just want to give the best information that we've been provided. That's at the time. Exactly. And and to kind of keep people updated and have that discussion uh, and let people kind of decide that for themselves. That's our goal. Obviously, we have our own personal opinions. Everybody does. Um, And we feel that the evidence is at least damning enough, if true, to be discussed and relevant enough to the game of hockey to to discuss it. So uh, without further ado, we do have some updates to the latest story that we've got going on. But the bigger news that actually came out was... um, more Hockey Canada stuff related to a potential new allegation. And this, um, I'm going to read this word for word, so bear with me, but it is uh, a statement on behalf of Hockey Canada that did come out. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. Apologies. um, It was within the last two days. Um, And it does read, Yesterday evening, Hockey Canada learned of an alleged group sexual assault from 2003 involving members of the 2002-03 National Junior Team after being contacted by Rick Westhead of TSN-CTV National News with disturbing details of the alleged incident. Mr. Westhead informed Hockey Canada he had spoken to multiple witnesses who provided him with explicit descriptions of an assault following an interview with Conservative MP John Nader, who is in possession of the same or similar information. The details in Mr. Westhead's email were deeply disturbing, and Hockey Canada immediately contacted Halifax Regional Police, as Halifax was the co-host city of the 2003 uh, World Junior Championships and also notifying Sport Canada of the information shared. We have urged Mr. Westhead to immediately speak with police and to encourage his sources to do the same, also imploring MP Nader to contact the authorities with any information um, on the alleged group sexual assault. Prior to receiving Mr. Westhead's email two weeks ago, Hockey Canada staff had heard a rumor about, quote, something bad at the 2003 World Juniors, end quote, but were given no details of any sort. We immediately reported this information to Sport Canada. We believe the alleged incident from 2003 should be investigated by the authorities, and we urge police to open an investigation into the disturbing situation. Hockey Canada will cooperate with and support the authorities in every way they can, and once again urge anyone who may have relevant information about the alleged incident to contact Halifax Police immediately. So, Nick, a very vague description, quite obviously. I think this is a story that, as we just talked about with our listeners, we're going to cover probably in depth as it unfolds. Um, So let's start there, Nick. It couldn't be any worse timing for Hockey Canada, but at the same time, couldn't be any better timing if there is a true and honest potential for the change that we've been talking about, uh, you know, for a long time now on the show. Yeah. It, it's, it speaks to what we've seen in the past uh, in terms of how sexual assault claims, especially if there's a common denominator occur, which is one story unfolds, you have sort of the, you know, sort of the catalyst, if you want to call it and for hockey Canada has been the, uh, the recent allegations, the one that we've been discussing in the show that involves the 2018 World Junior Team. Um, and now it appears that there may have been more. And from what we understand and what's being depicted, again, we have no other details. And what we just read is that something appeared to have happened in 2003. And again, Rick Westhead being the trusted journalist that he is. And, and I think it's important to bring this up, Noah, because you'd mentioned this earlier. It doesn't get this far. In today's world, when you're going by the journalistic standards that should be there, if 
there wasn't at least some sort of triangulation of the information, right? So, and that doesn't mean it's true, but it, what it also means is that multiple people or sources or witnesses have come forward and shared similar depictions or you know allegations of that such that has given us, I should say us, I should say Rick Westhead and, and others apparently within the Canadian government reason to believe that these events that are being told are true. Right, yeah. again, we don't know one way or the other, um, but as you mentioned, going back to the original point, this is essentially what we kind of hope for if you're have been either a victim or have, have maybe been, um, say, uh, an advocate for a victim where, you know, you maybe were shared a story, um, weren't really, and that person who was the victim didn't want to, you know, make it public or didn't want to talk about it or didn't report it to the authorities, then that happens, right? And now, again, it's like you, you get that one spark and then you have more that tend to follow in. It's not that you hope to hear more of these. No, I think we got to make that point perfectly clear. But I think what you do hope is that if there were more things that were covered up, this provides the avenue for those to finally get properly investigated and have proper due diligence. And that the folks who are responsible if proven true and proven guilty um, get the rightful um, reper you know, rep uh, repercussions that they deserve. Definitely. Moving on to uh, the story that has kind of encapsulated the hockey world, the original uh, comments that we've been going on for uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, uh, Hockey Canada says it will no longer use a reserve fund to settle sexual assault claims. Hockey Canada did maintain a reserve fund in a segregated account um, for any uninsured liabilities as they arise. Um, these include potential claims for historic sexual abuse. Um, the bigger thing that has come out of this story um, and Katie Strang did a really nice job of reporting this story yes, again in The Athletic. Good. One of the things that really stuck out to me was that, uh, you know, in the story, the the victim said that she felt really uncomfortable and said, which I thought this was kind of weird. And I understand they had a golf outing the next day. The players did. Um, mm -hmm. But these players had brought their golf clubs into the hotel room. And she felt really threatened to do anything because they all had golf clubs. They had essentially weapons. Um, you know, right. so, so there was another uh, part of that story. But uh, the thing that has stuck out to me actually comes from the investigation um, in addition with the National Hockey League and their independent investigation of this. Um, lawyers said that players plan to turn over to the league two videos filmed with a cell phone during and after the incident, as well as 35 text messages sent between the alleged victim and one of the players, a source told TSN. So these are those videos that we had mentioned before, one that was mm -hmm. six seconds and one that was 12 seconds. And honestly, if you get a chance to read the transcript, we're going to go through it here, but um, it's terrifying, uh, honestly. So the first video that was six seconds, um, the exchange, uh, an, an unidentified player says, you're okay with this? Um, showing the woman from the neck up in the video. And she says, I'm okay with this. The second video, which was 12 seconds in length and was filmed about, uh, I, actually an hour and one minute later, 4.26 in the morning, um, the woman's standing with a towel covering her chest. And the woman says on the video, are you recording me? Okay, good. It was all consensual. You are so paranoid. Holy, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was all consensual. I am so sober. That's why I can't do this right now. Um, and we have talked about in the story how she felt pressured, you know, into those videos. And then some of the text messages talking about, you know, did uh, this player reach out? Did you go to the police on Sunday? And she was, she said, I talked to my mom about it and she called, but I told her I didn't want anything bad to come of it. So I told her to stop. And the player said, you're having, you were having fun, right? 
And then this next one, I mean, read this text message. I was really drunk, didn't feel good about it all after, but I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. I know I was in the wrong too. So there's another statement of hockey culture or any culture where it's like yeah, anybody who's inebriated, that does not make them in the wrong. We've talked about this for a long time. Um, and, 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 and she's... And part of that too is, you know, at least in, you know, precedent set in court is that, you know, that doesn't, you know, it makes you more vulnerable in that sense and yeah. makes you more the victim. So yeah. And you want to talk about vulnerability, the, the crux of this, um, that really kind of freaked me out. Uh, to be honest, I, she said, I was okay going home with you. It was everyone else afterward that I wasn't expecting. I just felt like I was being made fun of and take advantage of. And then the guy said, I understand that you're embarrassed about what happened, but you need to talk to your mother right now and straighten things out with police before it goes too far. This is a serious matter that is misrepresenting and could have significant implications for a lot of people, including you. And then he said, what can you do to make this go away? So kind of putting that blame back on her. Um, Sounds you know, narcissistic, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's scary. And then it's the last one of the last text messages that he had said later in the day was, I appreciate that you're going to put an end to this. I know this must not be easy for you to have to call the police and say it was a mistake. Have you thought about what you're going to say to them? Um, yikes. That's called uh, witness tampering for those yeah. who, uh, who follow, you know, playing the home game. Yeah. Yikes. I mean... Yeah, terrifying. This is uh, this is from TSN, by the way, for those who are wondering uh, about this information. Nick, uh, you know, it's one thing we've talked about the acts pretty extensively. And again, if you haven't gotten a chance, if you can find a subscription to The Athletic and read Katie Strang's uh, piece, she did a very good job. But I think it, even more so, the text messages are more chilling because... They're not more damning to, too. Yeah, honestly. yeah. Not not to say it exonerates anybody, but it's one thing to oh, do no, something. No. It's another thing to do something and stand by that horrible thing through and through. Well, and again, there's intent too, right? So if, if you are looking at this, and again, hashtag not legal advice. Um, you know, you can paint a picture if if you are looking at this from a blank prism, right? You could argue. I think pretty easily in this in, in this story that those words were he, he knew what he was saying. He knew there was manipulation involved and effectively, again, trying to take the essentially the onus off of himself and onto the victim. So that way, effectively, again, the victim is doing all the work, is taking all the brunt of it. And again, the perpetrators, albeit yeah. allegedly, right? um essentially can wipe their hands and walk the other way yeah um it's it's sad and and it's it's one of those where again that when you put everything together from the lens that it looks like I, I think it paints a pretty clear picture to me and this is where my personal opinion comes into place that's a strategic that's strategic communication yeah that's 100 percent trying to manipulate the situation trying to effectively make sure that you know I'm getting away with this and I don't know, like it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's maybe it's, it, maybe it's just me, you know, because, you know, my parents, they drilled into me that, you know, the true person, you know, the true temperature, the true reading of someone's character is how you act when no one's looking yeah, and when no one's checking on you. Right. It's, do you still do the right thing when no one's watching and, even if there could be consequences and couldn't be handed to you, you still do the right thing. Yeah. Right. 
And it's one of those where you can see the opposite here, where you know the consequences. You, it was mentioned in the text, and it was clearly pushing the narrative towards the victim to get them to drop it, to do this. Oh, you know it was good. There's a lot of false pretenses in those in those. And, but in, in, in for the victim, right, was in a vulnerable state, you know, alleging, again, all this is true, which we don't know for sure, but it certainly is painting a picture that way that, you know, this is, pardon my French, mental screwy. Like I said, yeah. literally, it's, it's a mental terrorism. And, you know, Nick, the unfortunate thing here, um, and I'm going to jump right into our other story before we get on to some happy hockey news. We're excited to talk about all the wild and exciting things going on in the NHL. Um, this actually relates to the Edmonton Oilers here. Uh, newly filed U.S. civil suit claims Daryl Katz, who's the billionaire owner of the Oilers, paid a teenage ballet dancer $75,000 in exchange for her sexual favor. So this is stemming from a sexual abuse lawsuit launched by seven aspiring ballerinas uh, against a dance teacher and his wife that were part of the Boston Ballet. Um who actually fire, filed a counterclaim um, admitting to a consensual relationship with one of these dancers, Sage Humphreys, who was the lead plaintiff. Um, and this affair began in uh, 2017 when she was 18. But she alleges before that she was in at least three prior sexual relationships as an underage team with much older men, one of those being cats. Um, and again, we go back to text and one of the screenshots uh, says, um, you know, I talking about trying to pay her off and essentially and mm -hmm. says of course i would keep the the um the victim sage says of course i would keep it all for myself i listen to all the advice you guys gave and i don't take anything for granted and then um the dance teacher says and just between us or cats excuse me says and just between us even though you are wise beyond your years given our respective ages it would be taken the wrong way and she says yes everything is just between us and he said okay i will have one of my guys email you and he will send you fifty thousand dollars and like, again, we talk so much about doing something wrong to begin with, but then doubling down on that is just, it's sickening. And it's something that unfortunately, yeah. and again, we, we don't, I mean, we, we obviously ourselves have no way to substantiate any of these claims based on what we're reading. But um, Nick, I think it's just a dark day uh, in the day of hockey. So, um, I mean, do you have anything else to add or you want to move small on? Comment, small yeah. comment, small um, comment. You know, and that's where the biggest tool for a lot of folks um, is money, right? And it's not yeah. small. $50,000 is not a small amount. And, you know, you got to put it from the victim standpoint here, right? When someone's yeah. $50,000, you're almost in your head, you're almost like, okay, this is kind of a contractual agreement, right? Where it's, yeah. I'm keeping quiet. And if you're paying me that money to keep quiet, then okay, right? And that's where it's a it's one of the more powerful tools i should say for folks who are in the the wrongdoing is yeah. is the money side of it because it is a powerful influential device and it can be taken as sort of like say quid pro quo right yeah it's you like know, it, it's, a term. it's justification for something that you that you morally shouldn't be able to justify so and legally <laughs> yeah definitely well let's talk about justification for the columbus blue jackets we're moving on here uh Four-year deal, $8.7 million average annual value. Patrick Laine, 
uh, the second overall pick, uh, originally of the Winnipeg Jets, had 26 goals and 30 assists last season uh, in 56 games, has eclipsed the 30-goal mark three times, including 44 times with the Jets back in 2018. Um, he ranks 14th in goals and 9th in power play tally since entering the league in 2016, has 327 points in 407 NHL games. Uh, his counterpart, who was third overall in that draft, accepted a one-year $6 million qualifying offer the other side of that trade between the Jets and the Blue Jackets, Pierre-Luc Dubois, the 24-year-old, reportedly informed the Jets in June that he still plans to test unrestricted free agency when eligible back in 20 when 2024 rolls around. His agent, Pat Brisson, revealed earlier this month that the Quebec native would like to play for the Canadians. 102 goals, 137 assists, 361 career contests, getting his money, and then sounds like he wants to get out of Dodge once he's finally eligible to be a, an unrestricted free agent. So, Nick, did the Blue Jackets right, make the right move? Is this an overpay for them? And uh, is there any freaking chance that Pierre-Luc Dubois stays a Winnipeg Jet? No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but I think the bigger question is, what's the percentage he plays for the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah. Right? And that, that's the thing is, you know, I get it. You know, when you grow up so close to an NHL rank, there's always, you know, that hometown team that you want to play for. Um, it, it goes back to your childhood to stay lightly. But, you know, the thing is, is for, for Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, I, I just, I don't know. And it, it's interesting because there's been, he's, his, his character's kind of been highly a little bit, you know, going back to the John Tortorella feud on the bench, you know, a lot of people point the finger John Tortorella, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has apparently, again, not really been as fully engaged in Winnipeg, too. So, I mean, really, what's going on? We don't know. Yeah. Um, and then for Lyonnais, it, you, I would say this is a slight overpayment if I'm looking at it from a clear lens, um, because Lyonnais is kind of a boom bust. Um, you know, he's, he's a talented goal scorer. Um, when, when he turns it on, I think, you know, again, consistency is – is a problem for him as well as his defensive game as well, if there is any. Um, so, um, so, you know, but, you know, again, you pay him to score goals. And, you know, back in 2017, 2018, I think, wasn't that his rookie year or was that his second year? Yeah, I'm pretty I'm sure, sure that, I think it was his second, second year. year. Yeah, yeah, no, that would have been his sophomore year. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, you know, where a lot of the – and that's funny how the storyline changes so quick, right, because it was, oh, so the line had been number one. You know, back yeah. then, and I think that storyline has been buried since then uh, with Austin Matthews on the torrid pace that he has been. He's been yeah. a much, uh, you could say, more complete player. More complete player, yeah. yeah. So, um, slight open for Columbus, but again, Columbus, a lot of good things happening, um, especially with the addition of Johnny Gaudreau. Um, obviously, losing Bjorkstand is is big in their top six as well. But uh, for for a franchise that they've had spurts of of star talent um to get control and then to keep line a you know it's worth a, it's worth the gamble it's worth the dice roll and uh you gotta give columbus a little credit slight overpay to keep two offensively gifted players you never know why not here's your comparison here uh kevin fiala seven years 8.9 million dollars had 86 points in 80 games played uh 56 points in 56 games for patrick line just two hundred thousand dollars less per season and three years less on the term because uh, he is an RFA. So, you know, uh, that's kind of your comparable there for uh, guys that are maybe kind of in the same window, but bring a little bit of a different element as to the way they approach their scoring touch um, in the National Hockey League. But uh, um, there's a lot of scoring touch and non-touch GM-wise to go around. So our final topic of the main portion of the show, Nick, 
a blockbuster trade that everyone had their eye on last night as yeah, we record so, here oh, on Saturday night. If you're um, watching Blue Jays, Red Sox, by the way. Yeah. What? And that was insanity. And I watched the replay of that too. It was just one of those nights where like nothing could go right. No. I mean, it was insane. It's uh, yeah. I I don't know. I almost thought I was watching the Minnesota wilds for a second. Um, Beyond that, uh, the Calgary flames traded star forward, Matthew Kachuk in a conditional 2025 fourth round draft pick to the Florida Panthers. Um, Coming back in that deal was Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Cole Schwint in a conditional 2025 first round pick. The flames announced on Friday. So uh, the draft selection um, heading to Calgary is lottery protected. Um, Florida subsequently did ink Matthew Kachuk to an eight year deal through the spring of 2030. I don't want to think about that. My God, no kidding. $76 million (laughs) total for the contract. Um, The American is coming off 42 goals and 62 assists for 104 points. Uh, And on top of that, Jonathan Huberto heading the other way, 30 goals, 85 assists, 115 points tied for second in the league with who else, but Johnny Goudreau Um, and uh, Mackenzie Weger, 44 points in 80 games, 156 blocks, 179 hits uh, in the national hockey league last season. And Cole Schwint made his NHL debut in three games last year. The caveat to this, both Huberto and Mackenzie Weger are UFAs after next season. So that's really going to be the tail of the tape here. I honestly believe, first of all, kudos to Calgary, who should have had absolutely zero leverage in this trade and somehow potentially fleeced the Panthers if they can get both of these guys to re-sign and they continue to play like they are. But both of these teams definitely in a win-now mode. I think Calgary even a little bit more so because their window is short. Um, Matthew Kachuk is definitely the better player overall, but I think the package in return, you got to give Calgary, I think, the slight edge. And no one, absolutely no one, that thought they were going to even remotely come out as potential winners in this trade. Uh, Nick, do you see it the same way as I do, or do you think that Bill Zito, this was a better move for the Panthers than people are giving him credit for? You know, it could actually work out really good for both, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you and it, like you said, I'm 100% with you on this trade. Um, what a great return that Calgary gets. Now, and you could look at it as a double win for Calgary, too. And, and I say that for this reason. When Johnny Gaudreau left, don't tell me that the future of the Calgary Flames shifted in terms of yeah. where they're going as a franchise, right? Um, and then when uh, when Matthew Kachuk said he wouldn't sign long term, I, I think there is, there is a core change coming. And again, Calgary is kind of a flux team right now. And I say that because let's look at it this way. Um, you have a failed stadium deal. So you have a community that's a little bit unrest. Um, you, you've had a pretty decent team the last couple of years. You've stumbled a little bit in the playoffs. Um, but now who is your number one guy in Calgary? Is it it's probably Jonathan Huber, though, I think, yeah. at, least at this point. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think who their center. Uh, Sean Monaghan has kind of regressed quite a bit yeah, um, much lately. So. so And that's kind of been disappointing because I've actually really liked his game last couple of years and it just seems like this last year especially you really saw yeah. a dip in his game yeah um, if you want to go statistically Elias Lindholm is their top point getter that remains right. so yes so um, you kind of wonder if the Calgary Flames are maybe just a, a part of this is embracing what I think was inevitable when Johnny Gaudreau left and I think it sounds like they sort of prepared for it um you know to a degree and so it and what, what the UFA status does it gives Calgary uh, kind of an out a little bit too. So let's just say, sure, um, you get these guys, and let's say Calgary just stumbles hard out of the gate. 
These guys, yeah. one year left, these are great rentals for cup contenders. Yeah. You know, barring, you know, maybe you retain some salary. Um, you can make it work. Some of them that calories in the position to grab some top draft picks and really start to essentially look at restocking the cupboard a little bit, right? So yeah. for Florida, um, you get again a very unique, and I think I like the word unique um player at Matthew Kachuk, who's got offensive ability i think he's underrated for honestly if you look through ask the average hockey man i think he's underrated for his uh, offensive ability um we all know that he's gritty he's got some sandpaper to his game um but he's got a lot of talent up front he skates well his instincts are well um again because of the name kachuk he's known a little bit for more of his grip than anything else but um think about this way for florida they're going for it i love it from florida um, there's been some big changes down there, um, just north of Miami, and then was it uh, Sunrise, Sunrise, Florida? Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, for Calgary, they get kind of a you know a, a, a risk reward type package where you get a good return. You can definitely resign these guys if you want, but if not, um, they're going to command um, um, a lot of suitors if uh, you know some teams are looking to make cup runs. So the, there's some protection there for Calgary. Uh, but good on, I think good on both teams. I actually like the trade for both because it gives them a little bit of what they're looking for. If you can say Calgary's maybe looking for a little bit of flexibility now, the, I think the big question is now, you know, what happened in Calgary? I think that's the bigger question, honestly, is um, Daryl Sutter turned that team around um, that was sputtering um, defense. What was sort of their mainstay this year was a problem in the second round um, that kind of got knocked out. And at the end of it, what do you do now if you're uh, Brad uh, uh, trebling is, you know, how do you approach these next 14 months? Um, yeah. Because um, let's just say the winds are shifting big up there uh, in the Eastern Canadian Rockies. Yeah. Big challenge uh, for a lot of things. I was looking to see 68 penalty minutes for uh, Matthew Kachuk this season, which actually uh, not that much honestly is actually, is actually the fourth, fourth least uh, in his six year uh, career. So, you know, and it's interesting because I think we're seeing this trend and we're going to talk about this in the extra ice session, but the American boys want to go home and they want to go back over to the States a little bit here. And I think especially with the pandemic and the lockdown that was so prevalent in Canada, I think we're seeing maybe an exodus of guys that want to be closer to their families or closer also to the taxes. States. Yeah. So that was my second point there is that especially in Florida, you're able to get away with some of those salaries that maybe are offering offering a little less. Yeah, because yeah. you're not you're not taxed um, versus uh, Canada, especially the taxation is fairly heavy um, beyond mm -hmm. that, too is that it sounds like St. Louis um, was actually one of the front runners like everyone had thought they were. But Florida was just able to match them with a guy that matched the point total of Johnny Gaudreau last season. How do you turn that down? The question mark for Calgary, and we've talked about this a little bit in this trade already, can they retain either one of those guys, especially Jonathan Huberto? Um, you know, right. and, and that's where the price point, you know, becomes interesting. But you also have to remember this. Without Matthew Kachuk, without Johnny Goudreau, suddenly you're shedding a fair amount of cap to get both of these guys, and you might have an extra couple million to play with should he have another good season. Don't forget Jonathan Huberto set a record for most assists in a single season by a left winger in an NHL campaign with 85 last year. So definitely an added value to this franchise. Um, you know, but that's lot the thing is Calgary now has nobody that's a finisher. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, I uh, apparently uh, apparently scoring goals is important. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Just, just ask Kevin Fiala. You know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> but but it's interesting. Like you mentioned, you know, this could work out for both these teams. I still think if both of these guys re-sign in Calgary and play the same way that they have, Calgary actually ends up on the better end of this deal. But it's no secret and no stretch of the imagination to say 
that Matthew Kachuk is probably the better player here. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was an MVP candidate versus Jonathan Huberto was like an MVP candidate. And there's a big distinction between being elite and being the elite of the elite. And Matthew Kachuk, I think, just slowly slipped into that second tier last season, over 100 points in, in the campaign. And Jonathan Huberto, don't, don't get me wrong, had a great season. But I think just the consistency that we've seen year in and year out from Matthew Kachuk, when really it was only him and Johnny Gaudreau who were riding shotgun with each other for the longest time um, in Calgary. Um, he's a complete player and someone who definitely brings a lot of tenacity. But uh, this is probably the biggest pound-for-pound -pound deal that we've seen since maybe Shea Weber, P.K. Subban. I mean, it's it's hard to think yeah. of it. It's hard to think of another deal that really kind of matches this unless I'm, you know, easily missing one, which is highly possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, kind of final thoughts uh, on this trade. Is there anything that you wanted to add here? You know, it's uh, I, I actually can't wait to see Matthew Kachuk play for Florida. And, and how about this? Uh, Kachuk has, has kind of made himself a name in the NHL. And how great is it for Florida to get sort of a bigger free agent signing for them? I love this for Florida for that reason, because to yeah. me, Florida seems to be finding the last couple of seasons, finally doing the right things. Um, they're competitive. They're fun to watch. I've always said, you know, and ask, ask Michael Russo, right? Same guy. We've covered the Florida Panthers for 20 years. And again, Probably not the funnest coverage either, right? Yeah. Um, this team, beautiful arena. It's just outside Miami. Um, there's no reason it shouldn't work. They were just they were kind of a Coyotes 2.0 in the sense that they were mismanaged for a while. But now, after last season, you can attract, you know, a big name free agent like Matthew Kachuk. I mean, can you imagine Kachuk with Barkov? Oh my God, um, yeah. that's just that's nuts. And you know, to bring excitement to South Florida, I mean, what would what the Tampa Bay Lightning have done to hockey in South Florida? I mean, I was there not that long ago, in fact, uh, end of May, and you go anywhere from uh, the Fort Myers era to Miami, there's there's Tampa Bay Lightning billboards everywhere. And when we were there, um, Tampa Bay Lightning playoff hockey was on a lot of bar screens. And yeah. that's fantastic. And now it's time for the Florida Panthers to match that. I think the Battle of Florida should be just like an LA Anaheim type battle or a San Jose Vegas type battle where it's just a bloodbath and you got two good teams going at each other. That's great for hockey, especially in a non-traditional market. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Almost, almost as powerful as Sabres versus Coyotes. Right. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you, you yeah. know, that's my full. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Throw the Canadians in there as a wild card. You know, the, you know, you know, the, the thing that I, uh, my final thought here, a lot of people have been kind of ripping Bill Zito about this. And like I said, Calgary could come out the winner here. If one of those guys or both of those guys does not re-sign in Calgary though, Florida definitely makes out like bandits in this one. So, yeah. um, you know, really a lot of yeah, a lot of pieces that we'll have to definitely revisit uh, in the coming year. But with that being said, we're going to head on to the extra ice session where we're going to talk everything about the John Tavares. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. Uh, and I'm calling this the John Tavares issue. But before I get into this, Nick, I did want to throw a caveat to this. We talked about the American boys going home. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, uh, we didn't cover this uh, last time, but he almost did sign with the New, New Jersey Devils. Um, the day of, he said he was only really talking to two teams. Um, and it was, he was pretty much signed with New Jersey until at the 11th hour, a.k.a. 4 p.m., 
Um, Columbus swooped in and just said, hey, this is our offer. And he told his agent, I want to be here and totally switch gears. So talk about being a Devils fan. I don't know what's more painful, being a Flames fan and watching Goudreau go or being a Devils fan knowing what almost could have been. I think that's just, uh, um, you know, you know, it's, I, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Um, that's an interesting quandary, isn't it? Um, yeah. Or could you be, or is it more worse being an initial thing going, Columbus? Yeah. Right, you know. Um, because you, you kind of wonder when you're almost signed with somebody, right, Noah, um, what was the pitch? You know, what, what was it? Because I mean, I can't imagine the money was that yeah. much better. I think it's already been reported by multiple outlets that Goudreau left money on the table in Calgary. There's, that's not a question. Shouldn't surprise anybody. Right. Um, now mind you money take home, eh, maybe not as much, right. If you count in the taxation and whatnot. So what was it? I think that's my you, biggest question was, what was the pitch you know, from Jarmo Kekalainen there in, in Columbus that outdid um, the New Jersey Devils um, yeah, when and they I, essentially had him locked down? And I don't know the differences in proximity to his family, obviously, uh, out east. But, you know, maybe it was the simple fact that obviously you have a, young, a lot of young talent, but the Devils have had some raw years. We just talked about Patrick Laine. Johnny Gaudreau is a little bit more of a playmaker in some senses, and he's got a, an absolute guy to set the puck up to in Patrick Laine. And maybe just looking at that and knowing that besides Patrick Laine, he had the chance to be the guy. I say the, I say the only other guy that um, is probably – a big name player for Columbus is Zach Wierenski, maybe, yeah, um, you know, maybe, for sure. maybe Gustav Nyquist, um, you know, so it, he maybe saw an opportunity there that was too good to pass up as far as some of the players and maybe being a key guy that knew he was going to play in every situation versus vying with a lot of the young guys in New Jersey. I have no idea, but the bigger question is this, Nick, and why I'm calling this the John Tavares issue Will big stars leaving their teams after their first big initial contract become the norm? We remember when John Tavares was the first guy to really kind of do what is very common in a lot of other sports, especially the NBA, and leave the team that drafted him in order for more money, being closer to his hometown team, all these factors. And when this happened, obviously Islanders fans are really upset, but the whole hockey world was kind of, shocked essentially that this had happened that somebody would ditch their own team because for a long time the game of hockey has been and continues to be a very conservative sport by nature the lou lamorello-esque thing of you wear a suit to every game you keep your hair cut short you have no beards on certain teams whatever it may be and that kind of changed that narrative now couple that with a pandemic which has definitely changed the price point for a lot of these players on the open market johnny gaudreau said himself where he thought that it was going to be i'm going to get an offer from this team this team and this team really he only had two or three teams in the mix besides the flames when it came down to it you kind of wonder if maybe this is going to reshuffle the way that hockey players approach things once they get to the end of their rfa years or once they get to a point where they played in the league for a while and players are coming into the league at younger and younger ages. So they're making this decision not at 28, 29, 30. They're making the decision at 24, 25, 26, 27. And mm -hmm. you got to wonder, Nick, do you think this NBA-esque departure from some of these big stars, Austin Matthews has been the big name as his contract gets set to expire. Does this become more common as we move forward in the show? I don't know, honestly, um, because – not every player is motivated by the same thing, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think it's important to highlight 
sort of the the factors that go into this, right? You mentioned money, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, hey, J- hey, Johnny, why would you want to play college hockey in Columbus? Isn't right. it obvious for the girls? I mean, for, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know, and again, there was I think reports again. We talked about Johnny leaving money on the table in Calgary. There was reports that John uh, Johnny again, another Johnny, uh, left yeah. money on the table um, on the island in Long Island with the Islanders. So. Um, I don't know because at the end of it, I know why, because the trend is set. And I think honestly, the trend that's really setting is the players are going where the money is. If really what you think of it is, I mean, and let's use the Austin Matthews saga, his big boy contract as a, as an example, but granted Toronto offered him that they also signed Mitch Marner to big deals, right? The fact is that players who are younger now, and I think those two players kind of set the standard on this. Yeah. is if you don't pay them what they're asking for, they don't give a two rats rear end. They're going to go to a team that's yeah. paying them, right? Now, this goes back to maybe an Alan Walsh point, is that is, is this a, is this a sort of a secondary or tertiary um, thing on the hard ca- uh, salary cap? You know, are we due for a luxury tax in the NHL? I don't know the answer to that. Um, and maybe that solves this issue, right? No, whereas maybe the teams that can spend the money should – but does that provide them an unfair competitive advantage? Alan Walsh would say, Nick, you are out of your mind and drunk, even though yeah. I haven't drank more than half a beer already. So, <laughs> but, but, but parody, Nick, right. And the NHL the parody, has, right? Has, has worked so hard to get to that point. I, I, I don't know. Like I, it, it's tough, right? Because yeah. I understand the concern because that's been the storyline lately. Right. But at the end of the day, we don't know every single player's ambitions, we don't know if being home is important to them. We don't know if it's all about the money or do they want to win a Stanley Cup. All those are three different things. Now, could there be multiple of those factors in one place and that's attracted them? Sure. Um, yeah, and I can't imagine and Matthew Kachuk, um, you know, with ties to St. Louis, right? You know, I think what surprised a lot of hockey fanatics is Florida and yeah. not the two-time Cup winners of recent, but the Lightning. This was yeah. the, the Panthers that did this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and again, he does the extension, the max extension that you can get. Um, so we got his money at the end of the day. And we'll you never know. know and that was the only reason. And my question is this, because obviously, like you mentioned, in a lot of other sports with luxury tax or, you know, in Major League Baseball, the rich teams and the poor teams and then the 50 feet of crap and the Oakland Athletics, you know, there, there, there is, there, there is, did you see it, by the way, did you see the article? I forget who the, was it a pitcher for the A's who was headed to the All-Star game and he ended up flying with the Houston Astros because the A's wanted to have him fly commercial and they're like, no, you can just fly on our private jet. So yeah, I yeah. still, still some things to be worked out there in Southern California, but quite a few, you know, um, I think Oakland's in Southern California. I have no idea. Um, quite Southern. Yeah, I don't know. I also thought Oakland's thought on the opposite side of San Jose. Also, for the longest time, I thought the Ontario Rain were actually in Ontario, Canada. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they are, they are in Ontario, but uh, a different one. Just ask the Paling Brothers. But you know, <laughs> be, beyond this, one of the issues that I think the National Hockey League is having, and we're seeing it especially in Canadian markets, as opposed to places like Florida. Um, you have a player, let's say, uh, for example, when we've talked about escrow and a lot of the things, this was a big issue with Jonathan Taves and the Chicago Blackhawks. But if you make $10 million, which is what Jonathan Taves makes, 
it looks different in Chicago versus yeah. what it looks like in Calgary versus what it looks like in Florida. And that's an issue that I think is hampering some teams uh, when it comes to the negotiating table here. So how do you alleviate that too as well? Because that is really no fault of the teams. Um, it's just where they're based out of, unfortunately. So it has to you know, deal with a lot of cap restructuring things. Um, don't point at the Minnesota wild for this one, but you know, it's, <laughs> you know, that's an added issue too, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, for example, let's pose the theoretical question. Is there a possibility that Austin Matthews is not a Maple Leaf after his contract is done? Is that, is that, is that, is that a le- isn't, yeah. Is that a legitimate, like, is there enough of a percentage here to say that Austin Matthews could not finish his career as a Maple Leaf by the time that he's, you know, in his late twenties, you know, and Noah, you know a little bit more about my personal story than a lot of folks. Um, yeah. And it goes into why I, I mentioned this way. And, and maybe it's just the way I look at things. If it's not zero, there's a chance. <laughs> and maybe it's you know, the Lloyd uh, for Dumb and Dunner. It's so Lloyd, you're saying Lloyd there's a chance. So you're yeah. saying there's a chance, right? And it's because I've, I've been on the receiving end a couple of times of a 0.01% things, right? And it's you could call it Murphy's Law, but, you know, once a fluke, but two, it's like, okay, in my head, it's like, okay, even if it's 0.01, there's a chance, right? Yeah. And I think the bigger question for Leafs fans is, okay, so what does the team payroll look like at his contract end, right? Because if he if he wanted the big money, now mind you, that was 60 goal scorer in the National Hockey League, well, they're Austin Matthews, right? He's a pinnacle offensive force in this league. And... I think the bigger question is, Noah, is what does the NHL do once escrow is paid back? Yeah. Because you got to remember, escrow was never intended to be this permanent thing. It was supposed to get away from the debts. And if these revenues that we're talking about from the National Hockey League, when if things continue to trend upward, ESPN and, you know, TNT, you know, they got better as the year went along. There's still some irons to, to we worked out, but the exposure to the league is going to help with that. You know, yeah. these, these these contracts that they signed, it's all about getting the league back to where it needs to be. I'm okay with that. But what does that mean for once the league is in that position where it doesn't have to worry about escrow anymore, which that's the ultimate goal, what it should be. Now, whether it will be or not, that's another question, another conversation entirely. But let's just say for the sake of argument that escrow gets done, we don't need anymore, and you have to worry about state taxes, international taxes. But the initial isn't loaning this. You know, it's no different than yeah. the NBA, no, no different than the NFL. Um, you know, it, it's in Major League Baseball to a degree. So it's how do you even the playing field? The, the real answer is you can't. The real answer is you can't. And it's just a sort of that, you know, when you're the business. So let's let's take the NHL, right? Let's take the, sure, let's take the Calgary Flames. I think this is yeah. a great example, right? You're in Canada. So you have a high taxation rate just based on, the things that they are doing as a nation, right? Yeah. You have um, effectively, a, a, you've already had a failed stadium proposal. You're in a, you know, a very old building that was what, for the 1980 World Fair or something like that, or the Olympics? Yeah. Um, and the Olympics actually, you know, going back to my thoughts. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of factors, right? 80 or 84, one of the two. Let me look it up. <laughs> you do that while I, I finish my thought, in which is you have some. I mean, there's no question the Canadian seat is they're, they're hockey hungry, right? You know the fans are going to be there. It's going to be a great home atmosphere. Travel is going to be an absolute nightmare um, everywhere you travel, right? Because it's long flights. So 
I don't know what you do, but it's almost like if you're opening a business, right? Let's say I'm opening up a coffee shop. You know, it's the same thing as I mean, what my location is. Well, I'm taking the risk that I'm going to be kind of by myself here, which means no one's going to be around me, but it also means someone's got to freaking find me. And sometimes this is where like sort of the outlet malls and stuff make, you know, sort of that business model, which if I'm around other people, then we kind of help each other kind of thing. Right. So does the NHL eventually take approach to that? I don't think it will, because again, the NHL only cares about the NHL. Yeah, um, I guess. And, yeah, I, I guess. I guess my final question, and then we've got an exciting piece to reveal about what's coming up for our upcoming shows for the next month and a half, which is exciting. Um, if big stars start to move the way that they have been uh, a little bit recently uh, with Johnny Gaudreau, with John Tavares, everybody named John apparently, um, and maybe someone with the name Matthew in their name at some point, uh, is it good for the game? Is it good for the game for players to be, you know, obviously, ultimately, they're able to make their own decisions. They're able to do what they want. They're full-grown adults in their contract or lack thereof stipulates they can do what they want. Is it good for the game for players to be able to move around during their free agency period as UFAs and kind of break the norm and the conventional standard that hockey players stay with their team as much as they can until their waning years or if they're chasing a cup? Let me answer it this way. Was the norm always the right way to do it? I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah. honest, honest response. I mean, and I say that yeah. because you're right, because there's a big part of loyalty in hockey. See that what people, you know, when they ask us, what's up, what's with fighting in hockey? Part of that's <laughs> loyalty, right? It's loyalty yeah. to your teammates. It's sort of the, you know, you pick on one, you pick on the whole team kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And that goes, it's, it's really ingrained deep. Right. And that even goes to what we've been talking about, which is the team that dropped you, they gave you the chance to be in the show. Um, they're taking the one that's taking the risk on you, but you know, I think it's a good thing. And I'll say it this way. When you have the thought that big names could be available for a team like Arizona, because that's that been the rumor, right? Which for Austin Matthews in Arizona, even though I don't think there's really anything concrete with that. It's just a pipe dream at this point, right? And yeah. a couple of years from now, I mean, I might be looking back at this video going, ha, you dumb idiot. You knew it all the time. I think they should be able to go wherever they want to go because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are playing. Uh, they're the ones who, if they, they want to go for the money, they're unrestricted. They should be able to do that if they want to uh, go take less money, right? We don't hear the same argument when they want to take less money to play for a Stanley Cup, right, which I think is ironic. And number three, if they want to play for the hometown team, the team that they went to the rink with their parents, with their dad, and, and, and got to experience hockey for the first time, and that's what it is true to their heart, they should be able to do that. So for me – they're unrestricted. They have every right to do it. Let them do it. If it's a trend, that means that more and more teams are able to get high-end talent. And it also means, also to agree, Noah, that there are more high-end talent players in the league where they have to move around to get the money they think they deserve. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It'll be an interesting kind of trend that we're going to keep an eye on, obviously, moving through the next year. But just kind of an interesting thought. I, I thought it would be to kind of pause it, a little bit of discussion there as we've been kind of, you know, this is this is the crux of summer where we get to see a lot of these things kind of happen. So maybe we'll see a trend that is going to be important for the future. 
As far as trends are concerned, though, Nick, only one more thing to add. And this is a trend that we actually started last year on the show. Uh, it was a brainchild of yours. And I think we're going to do it again with a little bit of a twist. So uh, we are approaching the last week of July, the start of August. And, of course, the men's hockey season starts their first game on October 1st. So what better time to do, like we did last year, our NCHC previews of all eight teams in the conference, uh, kind of ranking them from where we think they're going to finish all the way uh, to the top, except for the fact that, of course, our St. Cloud State Huskies will obviously be the final team that we'll preview before the start of the season. Um, but with that being said, Nick, I think a little bit of a twist here, um, and we'll find some way to incorporate this. Maybe we'll announce it on Twitter, but my first original thought, as we just hit the midnight hour here on Sunday morning, is that uh, we kind of did a little bit more of how you and I broke down pieces for the team uh, and we're still going to do that, but I think it's important. Maybe we'll pick like maybe three or four listener questions. Uh, if they have any about each of the teams that we can really discuss in depth and really kind of have a mini fan mailbag each week about each of these teams and kind of pick maybe some of the best questions and we can always do more than four, but maybe that's our first thought to start with about, uh, some thoughts that, um, you know, fans might have about each of these teams and questions they uh, want us to consider and really address on the show. I think that would be a fun little caveat as we get started with our NCHC previews. So, Nick, uh, with that being said, uh, we are going to start uh, with the Miami Redhawks next week. Um, and by next week, we are going to end up recording. It's going to be the last weekend that should be affected from my work schedule. So we are going to record on Monday, August 1st. Show will come out on August 2nd on that Tuesday. So for those waiting for that first NCHC preview, it's going to be a little bit of time, just a little bit over a week as we start with the Miami Red Hawks. So if you have any questions, find us at Warming House Den. We'll post something more about that as we get closer to, so you can drop, drop your questions in and we'll sift through some of them and see which ones are the most appropriate for the show. Nick, anything else to add here for episode number 121? What an episode it was, right? Holy cow. Uh, yeah. Always fun, Noah. Always great. Um, and looking forward to getting more of a preview of uh, an NCHC that has uh, a lot of reload for some teams, a lot of really good talent uh, freshman class coming in. I think it's going to be yeah. fun to take a look at it. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've talked college hockey, and of course, that's the that's the reason why we're ultimately here for some St. Cloud State and NCHC action. You won't want to miss it. So for Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.